Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money only on Money FM 89.3. You haven't heard from him in a while, and in a fortnight, you're going to hear why. For now, though, with his view on the market as an investor with that knack for making the complicated understandable, welcome back to Money and Me, Arun Pai. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. <laughs> oh, those dulcet tones! All right, uh, Arun, good to have you back. The market's really a buzz with the U.S. Federal Reserve's decision to raise its key interest rate by half a point, as well as a strong rally overnight in reaction to that. So, the fifty basis point increase—the largest increase in decades since two thousand, to be exact. Uh, we know that the U.S. Fed Chair J.P. is going to release more details of just how the bank is going to shrink its balance sheet, quantitative tightening. That's what the process is about. U.S. markets jumping on the news. NASDAQ, Dow, S&P 500 all rose close to 3% or more. Uh, What do you see as key signals that market watchers are cheering? And by the way, higher rates usually provoke a sell-off, right? Why this reaction? I mean, got to hand it to to Jerome Powell, right? What amazing, like managing market expectations was pulled off, the the, the execution of this plan was pulled off amazingly well. I mean, the the markets initially were thinking, okay, this could be like a 75 basis points hike, and he led the market to potentially presume that, Mm -hmm. and then he kept it to 50 basis points, assuaged the concerns of the market by saying, look, we don't think the economy is in that big a need of cooling down right now. We don't. We think inflation is obviously not transitory. It's gone a lot higher than what even we expected. But make no mistake about that, we don't envision a 75 basis point hike anytime in the near future. And that led the market to, you know, taking a little bit of a breather. I mean, it had corrected a fair amount in the past couple of weeks, right? But mm. all of that being said, I think, you know, it's pretty amazing to see, as you rightfully mentioned, after 20 years of the, the, the Fed's largest hike, and yet the market's going increasing so much, appreciating so much, is quite amazing to watch. And hats off to, to the Fed chief to pull this off. So investors are hoping that this is the right touch, right? Bring rates up, bring inflation under control, but not too much to drive the economy in the U.S. down to a recession. Do you think that they've set the dials just right for a soft landing? Yeah, that's always the, the billion or trillion dollar question, I guess, right? The aspect of soft landing and can even the Fed achieve what they're setting out to do? I mean, the whole aspect of popping a bubble or stopping a bubble from getting created on the positive side and the negative side, trying to like achieve a soft landing. It, it, it's interesting where, I mean, I mean, if you take a step back, right, and you try and see what are the big themes or reasons for why inflation is where it is right now. Uh, I mean, broadly speaking, low interest rates, even prior to COVID, right? It was kept extremely low post the global financial crisis, the hangover from that. I think central banks across the world uh, did not increase interest rates to the required amount. And even when they were threatening to do so, there were huge market tantrums, right? This whole taper tantrums kicked in. Then we got COVID, which obviously basically just led the world on a holiday, quote-unquote, for a year, year and a half, at least economically speaking. Shutdowns across the globe, et cetera, which led to huge supply chain issues. And that led uh, inflation to increase or spike up quite a bit because 
you had uh, you know, this whole aspect of just-in-time manufacturing, these efficient supply chains that got created were now getting affected because if one country shut down, I mean, especially the manufacturing bowl, China, you couldn't, you as a, you know, manufacturer or reseller in the U.S. or in Europe or in Africa just couldn't deal with, couldn't do your business, couldn't, uh, you know, do anything basically because the underlying good was not being supplied by China. And then, a couple of months back with the whole Russia invasion of Ukraine, that led to even larger geopolitical issues from, I mean, the immediate effects of be it uh, staple crops, uh, be it uh, palm oil, that we can see the reverberations of in Indonesia. You have all of these geopolitical concerns come up. So the combination of all of the above has led to an increase, sustained increase in inflation which is not that easy to bring back down, right? And obviously the Fed can deal, can move a certain number of levers. Like what, what what's it doing right now? Interest rates, obviously, appreciating it, increasing it close to like 75 basis points to 1% presently, hoping for it to get to closer to like 3% by the end of the year in a steady fashion, starting to roll off that $9 trillion balance sheet Step by step, you know, right now it'll probably be slightly under 50 billion starting from June. Three months after that, it'll get closer to like $100 billion per month of roll-off. Slow and steady again. But I think the other underlying issue of this geopolitical concern where now countries are really not trusting one another as much as they used to three, four years back because of COVID or just generally because, you know, in one single switch, if uh, the Western world decides that you can't use SWIFT or your central bank's assets are now rendered worthless, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's in any G10 currency or even gold for that matter, that causes huge long-term implications on how, if you're a sovereign country, how do you look at this political roadmap being played out over the next five, 10 years? Do you need to start insourcing everything? Do you need to start creating your local economy? And you're already starting to see that, right? I mean, China, US, Vietnam, across the board, countries are getting more and more concerned and they rightfully need to protect their own people, right? And that will lead to a more sustained long-term inflation because it's not as easy as finding the ideal country or source to manufacture or produce the cheapest good or that part of that entire supply chain and the, the underlying good can go from country A to B to C before the finished good arrives in country D. Like that beautiful aspect that we had going on for the past 20 years, I think is now starting to see a lot more cracks. And on the back of that, there'll be a lot more in, you know, sustained inflation over the next five, 10 years. And as investors, we need to be very, very careful of that. And I suppose uh, thinking about positioning for that as well, uh, which is something that we're going to put to our guests tomorrow. How exactly do you position for that possibility? In the meantime, if we switch to Singapore's Tamasic uh, in the news, because it's expecting Chinese growth to rebound in the second half of the year because of uh, expectations that China's government will stimulate the economy. So Chief Investment Officer Rohit Sipahimalani telling Bloomberg TV that we're at a different stage in the China growth cycle and uh, that they're expecting to see growth rise in the second half of the year against a decline in the US and Europe. First up, do you agree, Arun? 
I mean, on a purely biased basis, considering <laughs> I do have a lot of exposure into China stocks, I definitely hope so. But yes, I mean, I uh, talking my book over here, as is Temasek for that matter, I think close to like 30%, if I'm not mistaken, of Temasek's assets are invested uh, into uh, that country. But uh, talking up my own book, uh, I, I actually do believe so. And, and the reason is a couplefold, right? First and foremost, I, I know the whole Western media has portrayed the current lockdown to be unhumanitarian and absolutely boring and all of that stuff. And there is potentially some truth to that. But it's a very self-imposed kind of lockdown, which I think, you know, forgetting about the next three months, six months, because because honestly, I don't have a clue where the markets are going to go in that short a time duration, but it's still a very short-term self-imposed problem, which, and hence, ergo, that means it can be rectified reasonably quickly by the government too, right? Maybe they are just hoping that, or maybe they are waiting to see what the true efficacy of uh, Sinovac, Sinopharm, uh, local, pr- locally produced vaccinations are, because... Uh, they're not using uh, AstraZeneca and Pfizer's. Uh, who knows, right? Maybe they don't want a big uh, societal collapse if it comes to like actual increase of debts, etc. Whatever those reasons might be, they are definitely taking potentially an overcautious approach, but it's self-imposed. Then we come to this aspect of what the government has done in the public markets, trying to clamp down on be it the larger tech payments or for that matter, you know, like this, the tuition industry or any kind of sector that in its views, uh, it being obviously the CCP, uh, in its views of what the long-term benefit is to the local, uh, you know, population. And if they believe that uh, all of this extra money being spent in tuition, all of this extra money and time of the youth being spent on video games, it has to be clamped down. And honestly, from the long-term perspective, sure, uh, is Alibaba or Tencent going to grow 50% year on year? No, it's not. But from a long-term sustainable point of view, uh, are the actions laid out by the government in the interest of the local population in the long run? Yes. Which will in turn mean that these companies, these large tech technology companies, as long as they, you know, adhere to what the government wants them to do, the, the, the path in the future is quite bright, just given the underlying fundamentals of, be it the, the, the economy, the, the entire ecosystem that has been created in China. So from that perspective, I'm a very much like a long-term bull on the Chinese economy. And within that, some of these large tech companies, especially in my mind, at least Alibaba, and Xiaomi are like at the forefront of software and software hardware integration plays. And from that perspective, as a value investor, I definitely see a lot of potential future growth in those two names. And we want China to do well because any sustained slowdown in China is going to be felt globally, right? It is one of the most dependable engines for the world economy, uh, especially when we see inflation and war in Europe raising recession fears in the US and Europe this year. Absolutely. And I mean, especially considering we're based in Singapore, we will always have, just purely because of geography, we'll always have a closer connection to China than even the US, which might be a larger economy right now. But we really, really are fully vested in the Chinese growth story. And I, I, you know, I mean, looking at any kind of like top line metrics, 
it doesn't seem like that story is going away anytime soon, right? So mm-hmm. I think from all of those perspectives, taking a look at where the markets are right now, uh, where the valuations of some of these companies are right now, uh, could be an interesting time for people to get into also. All right. Now we must must talk about Elon Musk along with the whole world <laughs> because he changed his image on his Twitter profile and that sent a particular coin, crypto coin surging. Uh, it was a profile post Musk put up of bored apes and that saw ApeCoin jump 19%. So he's having a lot of fun with Twitter, but I'm keen to get your point of view on uh, as an investor, if you're looking at Twitter as a, you know, a private company, what do you think Musk taking over Twitter means for Twitter in the long term? <laughs> I mean, it's anyone's guess. It's probably Musk's <laughs> guess himself, to be honest, right? <laughs> the way he he's, I mean, the way he's been tweeting all sorts of stuff about how he wants to make the business model more monetizable. I mean, but, but taking a look at what the guy has achieved, I mean, hats off, right? A phenomenal, like multi-unicorn, decacorn, trillion dollar, one of them at least, trillion dollar company, like fantastic uh, like a true maverick, a, a true entrepreneur. From the aspect of Twitter very specifically, though, uh, th- th- there are some aspects, I think, that w- what he's mentioning, uh, it, it pays heat to like listen to them, right? I, mean, I, I think the aspect of monetizing some certain users, cute checkbox. The aspect of, from an investor, though, from being able to in, like consider whether to put money to Twitter right now before it's taken private, I mean, you can see the share price is currently, I think even yesterday it was trading at about $48, give or take, which is a fair amount lower than the price that he's going to be willing to take uh, to buy out the company. And that's purely because of the uncertainty that people are placing, whether this guy can actually execute on this. He initially talked about putting a larger amount of equity versus raising debt to buy out this business, like a typical leveraged buyout, but a much higher equity stake. And then I think two or three days ago, he was mentioning about how it's going to be a lesser amount of equity and he's looking to raise more debt. So there's a lot of like back and forth going on in his ability to be able to actually execute on this plan. I think eventually it probably will happen, but the damage it might cause, especially on a lot of the employees that are there within the company, because there's just so much uncertainty, right? Like you have no idea whether this guy might take this company public slash 50% of the staff because he believes that, you know, this is the town square. Do you really need that much extra technology or like AI filters in this? He wants to make everything completely open. People can say or tweet whatever they want to. So there's just so much uncertainty where a lot of good quality talent might leave the business. Some of the sponsors that are there might decide to leave uh, this platform too. And I, I think that could be a little bit scary uh, from the perspective of an investor looking to get into this company right now, and for that matter, in the long run, right? Like what happened in a two or three years, I think three years was this time frame of bringing this company back into the public markets in its new shape or form. I think putting all of those things together, uh, is that roughly 15%-ish price appreciation worth an investor taking a risk into right now? Probably not. I mean, personally, if you're looking at like these merger arbitrage kind of plays, maybe Microsoft activation might be better suited, but that's just me. That is so interesting. As always, Arun, thank you for your point of view. We'll check in with you in a fortnight. That's Arun Pai there. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.
To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.